podcast featuring newsmakers that are taking the Valley of the Sun by storm. My name is Philip Haldeman, and I'm usually your host for this podcast, but we're uh, switching around today on the grid producer Chris Ayers will actually be asking me questions. Some of you might not know this, but I played Denny in The Room. The Room was a, um, or is this, become this pretty big uh, cult phenomenon, kind of like the uh, modern day uh, um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, But James Franco is coming out with a movie right now called The Disaster Artist, and it basically tells the story of The Room. And so we decided we'd kind of switch it around. So today the tables are uh, turned and Chris will be interviewing me. So please, Chris, take it away. Hello, everybody. You don't normally hear me on this podcast because I'm the producer slash editor. I'm sort of the guy behind the guy, but I I get to talk in this episode. So so normally this is a podcast about Phoenix. I suspect a lot of the listeners, our Phoenix-centric listeners, might not know about The Room. Just to clarify, this is not the 2015 movie starring Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay that earned four Oscar nominations. No, not that. This is a 2003 cult movie. Um, that is a strange phenomenon, so strange that you, your life has taken a turn for the strange because you have recently seen yourself played on the big screen by a Hollywood actor. Yeah, uh, Josh Hutcherson from, what's it called? Hunger Games. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, how could I forget? Um, yeah, uh, he played me. So, like, the disaster artist basically covers the relationship between uh, Greg Sestero, who was one of the leads, and Tommy Wiseau, who was the mastermind behind the room and so it's kind of their story their relationship but it also pretty much the second half of the of the disaster art is is the actual production of of the room and the scenes and every and everything that happened on set kind of so josh hutcherson plays me it's actually i don't have a huge part in in the disaster artist um the movie is based on greg sestero's book which really did a good job of capturing the essence of kind of trying to struggle and make it in Hollywood and then trying to shoot this Hollywood film. And so the movie really does kind of, it doesn't follow the book exactly, of course, but it, it really kind of does capture the, the the essence of his book. So that's the story. Um, and in the book, I play a, kind of a background role. Not, I mean, I'm only in like a three or like four or five pages. And so it's kind of similar in that sense. I mean, obviously it's a Hollywood movie, so there are liberties there, but... Overall, it was a really weird experience um, having somebody play me, especially somebody as well-known as Josh Hutcherson. Yeah, so The Room, it's hard to describe this if you haven't seen it. Its reputation is the worst movie ever made. Yeah, and it's got, you know, uh, there's really, basically the only way you could describe it is like a love triangle, you know? So, and there's numerous plot lines dropped along the way, Um I mean, people really love it because of how really bad it is. And the, and the thing is, you can't really capture that. You can't try to capture that. I mean, it's very much like, uh, you know, like lightning in a bottle. All the actors and the director, Tommy Wiseau, was, were very earnest in, in making this movie come to life. And so that's why it came to have this really, like, became like a global phenomenon because it's not just people. It's not just Americans, United States folks. I mean, it's, it's people um, in Australia, across the world, that it's kind of really a universal badness, you know? So keeping it local to Phoenix, uh, I saw this film only one time with an audience, which is definitely the way to see it. The Room, right? Yeah. The Room, yes. Yeah. I saw it at Film Bar in 2012. Hmm. And it's the kind of thing where there there's 
call outs and cues. People throw things at the screen very much like interactive. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. a hobby for some people. People right. go to see this repeatedly. It's received sort of a, a life here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. There was a point where this started to become uh, you know, a cult movie. Do you remember like what year that was when you started to realize that it was getting big? Yeah, I uh, I mean, I, I, I we shot the movie in 2002. It came out in 2003, and I moved back. I grew up in Phoenix, um, and I moved back uh, to Phoenix from L.A. in 2004, basically. Um, and the first thing that really hit me was I got a call from uh, my friend Scott Holmes, who played uh, Mike in the movie, and he calls me. I'm literally driving back from L.A. with my car full of crap, you know, um, I'm driving past Palm Springs and I get a call from Scott saying, dude, they are cheering when you come on screen. And they're screaming, oh, oh, hi, Denny. Like the whole audience is screaming this. And I was like, wow, what a time for me to leave Hollywood, you know, just when this movie is starting to take off. But because uh, when I saw the premiere, I was like, no, this is, you know, oh, nobody will ever see this stuff, you know. And so that kind of Palm Springs moment was like the first thing that made me think, what's going on? Is this? going to have a life of his own. And then like, you know, a few years later, um, I started getting calls from, you know, to do interviews and stuff like that from the press. And what really like, what really, really um, kind of was a watershed moment for me was I was working at the Arizona Republic as an intern. And um, I think this was like maybe around like 2008-ish or so, um, which is dang almost 10 years ago. But I came into work on Monday and I saw my boss, uh, you know, my editor who we sit right next to each other and he kind of tosses this, uh, you know, entertainment weekly magazine next to me. And, and, and I open it up and it's freaking an article about the movie. Um, and like, not only that, my face is plastered on the, on the double truck of this, um, of the, this entertainment weekly issue. And I was like, what the heck? Holy crap. So like, that was a moment there was like the entertainment weekly did a story on this. I, I actually looking back, they might've even tried to contact me for an interview. I don't remember, but it was basically how this kind of cult film is, 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 um, just going crazy in LA and they're selling out all these theaters and, and all this stuff. And like, um, and, and I mean, I'd heard, I knew rumblings of it a little bit because of the, you know, press, I've seen some clippings online and stuff like that. But when, when Entertainment Weekly did a, did a story on that, that's when I was like, wow. And, um, that was the other big one. Um, I mean, it's gone through a lot of phases of, 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 of like hills and new, um, renewed interest, but that was a big one for me, you know? So let's, let's back up a little bit because a lot of people you interview on this show are people who have moved here mm-hmm. or, or native Phoenicians who have grown up here moved away and come back and you fit into that second category but at the time when you left like what was going through your mind what was why did you want to leave phoenix and you what, mean when i left here the fr- yeah when, when you went out back. to make the movie okay. went out to make your fame fortune in la right right like what year was that and like where were you and i did a, i did a play in in high school called camelot when i was 15 years old and that totally like got me into acting i and i loved it and you know i i could i you know i ate it up uh didn't have enough of it. I did theater. I did professional theater here. I went to ASU and got my degree um, in theater. So I, I I pretty much knew that that's what I wanted to do from pretty young. I mean, like in high school, at least, you know, I knew I wanted to go to LA and, and, you know, I considered New York city, but to me, LA made, made more sense because not only was it closer, but I was kind of in, more interested in film. So Literally, like within a few months of, of me graduating uh, from ASU with a theater degree in 2000, I was gone. You know, I packed my stuff up um, and 
few months before I, I left, I mean, me and a buddy went out and looked for a, for a place to live and, 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 you know, I was work I worked on getting an agent and I did, was able to do that before I left. So I was pretty, I had a I had an apartment and had an, and an agent uh, representation. So those were really big. Those were kind of big in the in in the, just you know moving to LA. A lot of actors don't even have representation. Um, so I was prepared. You know, I had some money saved up, and so boom, that was like two thousand July. I think it was July two thousand and July two thousand. That's when I was out. I was gone. You know, there was no doubt in my mind. And I think kind of when you when you really want something. I think you have to go into it like that, you know, all the way. So did you go in a lot of auditions? Did you have other roles before you landed the, the role? Yeah, again? I definitely, um, I, I got some work for sure. Um, one of the early gigs I got was, um, oh, it was a movie with Christina Ricci in it. Pumpkin, I think. Yeah, Pumpkin. I remember that. Movie. Yeah, yeah, so it was basically about, um, <laughs> it was about um, the sorority that basically kind of like befriended um, special needs group. Uh, special it was the special olympics or the movie's version of the special olympics and so it is kind of weird and funny that i would one of the first gigs i got in la was kind of playing a mentally handicapped kid basically you know (laughs) and so but that was one of my first gigs and i got i got um uh i did a couple commercials um a couple short films couple um kind of like independent films that you know never saw the light of day um and then 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 the audition to the room came along was that an open casting call or did you have, did you know somebody on the production? How'd you get into that? It was, um, backstage West. Um, well, no, actually I know they put an ad in the, in backstage West, which is basically, you know, the actors kind of trade, uh, newspaper that lists all kinds of audition stuff like that. But actually what, how I kind of got the audition was through a submission service at the time I was getting some auditions, but I wanted to get more. So I paid, I paid this, you know, submission service. Basically what they do is you give them like a hundred bucks a month and they paper the, um, the paper Hollywood with your uh, resume and, um, and headshot. So they sent out every month, they sent out to casting directors, production companies, all kinds of stuff. And that's, I got a call from, uh, I believe Greg Sestero called me and said, we, we, we want you to audition for, at the time it was called The Neighbors, but they later called it The Room. And so I went on this audition and Tommy Wiseau's, you know, right there, you know, you know, he introduces himself. He's like, Phil, uh, he's like, I want you to go in there and be crazy. And basically it was, it was an improv audition and there were two people sitting on a couch, like on a, a sound stage. And he wanted me to go in there and just kind of do whatever. And I'm not huge on improv, but I did it, you know, and I went in there, there was a football, you know, sitting, there was a prop off to the side. And, you know, I freaking picked that up, tossed around. I, I annoyed the hell out of these two actors that were trying to do whatever they were trying to do. And he called me back like four or five times, you know, I'm pretty much doing the same thing. And I never knew most of the time you go to a casting call or whatever you're, you're auditioning for, um, or with other people like you for the same part. So you'll walk into a room and there'll be five other people or six other people that kind of look like you, you know? And so, but that never happened because anytime, every time I went to an audition or a, for, or a callback for the room, I was the only guy, I was the only Denny, you know, and I didn't have sides. I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a script or anything like that, but he put me through the ringer for the audition, you know, after the fifth audition or whatever, I get a call by from Tommy saying, hey, we want you to do the part. Was there a script at that point or are they still writing the script? There wasn't a script from as far as I knew. I never had one. Um, um, we rehearsed 
after after we got cast and for maybe a week or a few few days and i did have some of the sides i had like certain the only the the scenes that i was in um but as even even to this day we the actors tried to piece to piece it together uh the script from all the sides that they had and there were still missing pieces you know what i mean i know uh, uh, apparently he had the tommy has released a script um um i think you can buy it on his website actually but I've never actually looked at that. You know what I mean? So, but as far as I know, uh, when we were shooting, all the actors um, only had basically their their lines, basically. So can you try to describe Tommy Wiseau as people know him? Some people might not know who this guy is. He's a very unique guy. And like, what was your first impression of him when you, when you first met him? And did that change over the four or five auditions that... Well, Tommy Wiseau um, seems... He, 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 the way his accent and kind of... It seems like he's from Eastern Europe, and that's what everybody thought. Um, and he was very mysterious about the whole thing. You know, we we did ask him, you know, where are you from, and he would tell us, "Oh, I'm from San Francisco," or he he lived in San Francisco, but he also said, "Oh, but I think he said he grew up in um, New Orleans." You know, I don't know. Like we we, he, I mean, if you've ever seen him on, if you've seen the room, he's very like that's who he is. You know, like, but I I, I yeah, I think I think who he is is. Like he's an enigma, and I think that's part of the draw too, you know. Sure. So, I, I, some of the the mystique and the legend of this movie is for being an independent film. He put a lot of his own money into this, and nobody really knows where he gets the money from. So that that also adds to the mystique. Yeah, and and we were um, when we shot the movie, we initially thought it was going to be like a, a million dollar budget, you know, which is still quite low. Um, but then as, as, as we did reshoots and the, the shoot kind of extended out to more than just a month, we started hearing that, you know, like the budget has become 2 million or 4 million. And then eventually they say that it's, that it got up to 6 million and we don't know. Uh, I mean, there is a mockumentary or a documentary that, um, some folks from Canada did that kind of delves into this more. People were saying that like he got his money from the real estate business, um, um, but I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. There's such some, some weird production things, like the whole rooftop scene is all a green screen, which honestly, it's good enough that I didn't notice the first time when I watched it, but to realize they went to that much trouble to build a rooftop surrounded by a green screen, or an example of in the trailer for the disaster artist where they've there's an alley and then they've reconstructed the alley to have a closed set. I mean, it's just like, it just means like unnecessary. Right. When there is an alley right outside the door where you could shoot and you wouldn't have to pay for a soundstage, but Tommy wanted to do it, you know, in the, in the soundstage. Yeah. Like to me, the whole thing about point of making a movie, one of the big points is to shoot on location, you know, like, I mean, why build a set if you don't have to, you know? And that was one of the things that, you know, Seth Rogen's character really cracked me up. That kind of captured a lot of the experience was like, like Tommy did it his way and that was the way it was going to be. I don't know, like it, like it just, it was kind of odd. Yeah, because they actually did shoot some scenes in San Francisco, but we kind of, we could have shot the movie in San, San Francisco, but we didn't. So, but Tommy had a vision of the way he wanted to make a movie and that was, and he was very strident in it, you know? So it's meant to be a drama, right? Like it's it's relationship drama. It was shot that way, yes. And but it's very obvious to watch it. It's it's known as being like a, a comedy, and people go to laugh at it. At, at some point, did you 
understand the ridiculousness, the absurdity of what was happening or the strangeness? Like, what was it like just on a day to day? You mean we were shooting it? Yeah. yeah. Like as you're going along, are you realizing this is a bit weirder than I signed up for? Right. <laughs> did you at some point did you say did you think maybe I've made a mistake? No, I, I never really thought about having a mistake. I always really enjoyed being on set. Um, there were bumps in the road, but so uh, when we were shooting it initially, uh, Tommy was very serious about it being a drama, like Tennessee Williams hardcore drama, you know, emotionally like draining type thing. And so when, you know, when we were shooting it, that's basically how he directed us. And so we took it very seriously. You know, we did, you know, as best we could, you know, so we heightened everything, you know, um, you have to cry this scene, you know, like, like, you know, during, during, uh, the Chris R scene, you have to cry. You're very emotional. You know what I mean? Uh, so, um, that's the way we played it. We were all very earnest, you know, in trying to p- portray our characters. And I think that's part of the, uh, that became part of the draw because when the movie was actually released, people started, uh, laughing in places where they shouldn't have, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden it became a joke. Like it became like, you know, this movie is so bad. It's funny. And it's certainly not a serious movie. You know what I mean? So I think at some point Tommy Wiseau kind of flipped the way he was promoting it and said and made it a black comedy basically I think is what he said and then that's when the whole bad it's good thing started you know playing out and all of a sudden it was not I mean it it wasn't really even a black comedy to be to be honest with you it was just this movie that kind of lost its way but was was portrayed um, and acted so earnestly that like you couldn't take your eyes off it in a way you know. Yeah, there's a certain earnesty that comes along with camp. Like everyone, it's this is unintentional camp. It seems like like you're so right. serious. Like you said, heightened. Right. right? Yeah. But it's like not intentionally campy. It just it just becomes that, and it's it's such a strange thing to not know your what you're making as you're making it until you see the finished product. Mm. Yeah. When I first, you know, like I said, when I first saw the damn thing, I was like, "There's no way anybody's gonna watch this." You know, honestly, like I did not expect people to react the way that it did, and that was like a weird life lesson. For me to be like, kind of like, don't put expectations on on life in general because you know what? It's not going to go the way you expect it anyway. So uh, go with it, you know, enjoy it because people are actually liking the damn thing, you know, and they're having a great time and they, they've seen it 15, 20 times and, and, and it's like people freaking gotten married. The people have met going to on a first date to this thing, you know, so like just like it was a great like release for me to be like, okay, like, you know what? Life goes the way it wants to some side sometimes. And you know, the best thing to do is roll with that, you know? So I mean, you've, you've definitely rolled with it. You've kind of turned it into a side career in a way, like the, just the infamy from being in the room. I've been with you at Phoenix comic con a couple of years at, at your booth and people get so excited to see you like, Oh my God, I can't believe Denny is here. And they, they don't call you Phil. They call you Denny. Yeah. That's, that's how they know you. Well, yeah, speaking of Comic-Con, that's kind of the, uh, I've definitely gotten some project, or I've definitely had a side project for sure. Um, I, when I came back from LA, I, I I really wanted to reflect on my experiences there because certainly the room experience was huge, but just the just living in LA for four years, trying to do something that you want to do, you kind of chase your dream and whatnot, it, it has, it can have a huge effect on you. And it did me, and I, and so I came back. And I've always been a writer, you know, I always have. So I try, I sat down and I tried to write about my experiences and I wrote a lot, you know, um, and eventually I hit a block and, and my buddy said, you know what, you should, 
you know, do a comic, you should write a comic book about this. And I thought it was pretty brilliant because my experiences in LA were really weird. Like, not, I mean, weird, just kind of out there, you know, stuff that only can happen in Hollywood, you know? Uh, and so I recruited a, uh, you know, I recruited a local artist who I knew through, actually through my brother, actually. And, um, we did a comic book called my big break. Um, we started, um, and that's where you're talking about. And, and I, and I kind of, you know, I do, I peddle it every year at the uh, Phoenix comic con, you know, and, uh, it's basically the story of my life. You know, I had, I've, I felt like I had to tell my story if for nobody else other than me. Um, but it's basically the story of my life in LA and trying to make it. It's basically kind of like my version of the disaster artist in a, in a way, you know? So, uh, we've got a 10 issue arc basically, which is going to tell, my story from it tells issue one is my meeting Tommy Wiseau in the room or for the audition. And then we go to when I come back, um, or at least I, that, that's where I think we're going to go when we come back and the movie starts becoming super popular. And that's kind of be around where we're ended. We don't know exactly yet, but we're, um, we just actually released issue three on my website, philiphaldeman.com. And basically we have, we, and we also have, uh, up to issue five done already, ready to be released. Um, as we go further, um, into the, into the new year right now, I'm writing, I'm finishing writing issue seven. So, you know, like when I retire, I, you know, when I turn 60 years old, we'll, we'll reach the, you know, the issue 10. So it's a slow going process, but people have really liked it, you know, um, and we've got a pretty good response. So we're going to keep doing that, you know? So you mentioned earlier when you were driving back, you know, like you got the, the call in Palm Springs. Was that like you were moving back to Phoenix at that point? Yes. You, yeah. So what was the impetus of, you know, oh. going out to LA? What was your decision to move back to Phoenix? I just, you know, actually, um, um, it was a few things. Uh, I, I just, I recently, well, I'd broken up with a girlfriend, maybe like maybe six months to a year previous to that. Um, and frankly, I just wasn't. I was never really happy, terribly happy in living in LA, you know? And I just, I stuck it out and I, I felt like I put in a lot of work and all my time there was not for not, but, um, I just got to a point where, you know, and, and I hadn't, didn't have many good friends and I just got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm just not friggin' happy. Uh, and so I just want to, do I want to be here miserable? Um, just to, you know, have a career that I may never have, you know, I mean, acting is a tough thing and nothing's, it's nothing a sure thing in that, in that industry. So I just was like, you know, screw it. I want to, I want to do something new, you know? And so that's what made me decide to come back, you know? And you've been working in, in journalism for the most time you've since back, then. Right? Well, yeah, I didn't know what I, uh, I was, uh, I didn't know what to do, and so I decided to go back to, to get a degree in journalism. And I had I had run I was on the school newspaper when I was in high school, and I had won awards, writing awards and stuff like that. So I knew that if nothing else, journalism would send me somewhere. You know what I mean? And so I, you know, I went back to ASU, got a got the second degree, and you know I've pretty much been been professionally. Um, working as a journalist during that time because I was interning a lot, a lot. So that's, I mean, despite I was still a student, I still consider that kind of part of my professional working period. So like, you know, I just, I've been in the journalism industry for the last 10 years almost. And I've known you since 2012. Mm -hmm. And I, at that point I knew you were in the room, but hadn't seen it yet. And then I saw it a few months later. And so I've known you since about five years. Wow. And it's an early I guess it was like mid 2015, you approached me and says, Hey, I know you're into podcasts. 
I have an idea for a podcast. I want to do a show about Phoenix, creative and interesting people in Phoenix. Like, do you want to help me? And yes. at first I was like, well, I'll, I'll do the artwork because I'm a <laughs> right because you at the time guy. at the at the time you really didn't have podcast product uh, like experience really right right the first yeah. one we produced episode one in January of 2016 was the first episode I ever produced so I'll apologize for the poor <laughs> audio quality and editing in those early ones I think we've gotten better yeah definitely but as as you're still using your skills as a journalist basically like but you are you know dedicated to Phoenix we have to bring mm, yeah. back to our Phoenix audience right here you've you've taken all this experience and you know this is like yeah a passion like, project like i grew up here you know and like like i i had a good time growing up here i thought i, I was my youth was spent you know I, I i just living here in the valley um means a lot to me and you know seeing phoenix grow over the years and become actually like a pretty cool city you know like it wasn't it was a kind of small town you know 20 30 years ago before i left for la you know and so, and, and, you know, I would see, I'd come back for Thanksgiving and Christmas and I'd be like, oh my God, there's people living in Buckeye. I mean, it's a pretty big city now, mm-hmm. you know? And like, so there's all this great growth and, you know, the arts and culture has grown um, the music scene, the art scene, the theater scene is all, you know, taken big jumps in the last 15, 20 years or whatever. And I, and, and I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to, it's kind of like my way of giving back and shining a light on the good things that, um, some people are doing for this city and making it better. I hope that's what we're doing with on the grid. You know, um, we've had really great guests and, and, and people that have been um, instrumental in making Phoenix what it is today. And I don't really see that stopping, but, but like it was a way for me, like you said, kind of like, you know, I've got a journalism background. Um, I've never done broadcast, but I thought, you know, like, this is just another way, another muscle for me to, you know, build up and kind of like have in my toolbox. And so I think it's been a lot, like awesome. And like, I get kind of burnt out on doing a bunch of creative projects, but if I didn't do them, I'd probably go crazy. And like every time um, I leave an interview with this podcast, I, I feel it gives me a boost of energy, you know? Yeah, I feel the same way sitting here recording them too. I mean, yeah. I hope that also inspires a lot of people who listen to the show to feel good about Phoenix. That's that's what we're trying that's to do. That's the whole point, yeah. So last week you had a chance to see the disaster artist at a at a press screening. And I can't imagine how strange it is. I mean, if you were having some kind of like break with reality right now, I'd understand it because you've seen someone portray you, a Hollywood actor, a famous Hollywood actor portray you playing another role in a film. I mean, can you talk about how weird that experience was? I think the thing that really struck me most about the movie is, is you know, the idea of trying to make it. Whether you want to make a whether you want to make a movie or whether you want to write a book, or it's all about kind of having these dreams or a dream that you kind of are chasing after, and along the way you get put down and you get you know, people tell you you're not going to do it. People people tell you you suck. You know. And having the persistence to keep going in spite of those those obstacles and that adversity, you know, that's kind of my life too. I mean, I could, I mean, it's a strange story. I, I never, you know, I never, you know, won an Oscar or I never was in a movie that really anybody took me seriously about. But in a way, they do take me seriously in the room. You know what I mean? Like, people love that movie and it's just a weird path. But I, I couldn't change it for the world, you know? I mean... It's the most, it's really, it's one of the most unique stories. I mean, for me, like, you know, like 
nobody has that that path. You know what I mean? Nobody has that journey. And I think everybody has their own journey. I was afraid to follow it, but I didn't give up, you know? And I, I think that like, that's important. You know, I think that, you know, you can't do, you can't be too judgmental on yourself. If you have too many expectations in your life, you're going to be pretty miserable. So I, 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 I'm the whole thing. It's bizarre, but I'll freaking take it. You know, you know, the movie's not out yet. So it's hard to predict what the effect is going to be, right. especially if this is really well regarded and it's getting Oscar buzz, or at least this a 24 studio is trying to market it that way. Right. And submitting it for like serious awards, which is completely ironic. Right. Yeah. Um, so you have no idea. I mean, it could be a huge boon to you or, or it could be nothing. It's like really hard to tell. Like, it's like the of story fame. of the room, basically. Like, like I can never have expected that, you know? And so I don't I, I, like, you know, I can't have expectations like that. You know what I mean? I just go with it. I'll just go with it. Um, you know, we've gotten some push for, for the comic book because of the buzz and stuff like that. I'm going out to be a celebrity guest and, uh, uh, for Montreal's screening of the disaster artists that flying me out there. Oh, and also one of the pretty big kind of projects that I'm working on right now is, um, the mockumentary, the room actors, where are they now? It's a project, um, directed by Robin Paris, who was in the room with me. She played Michelle. Uh, she, uh, started working on this project a couple of years ago now at this point. Um, basically it's about like, it's, it's a funny take on, um, how the actors have been affected by the craziness of the room and that sort of stuff. So for example, my part, uh, I mean, I play, we all play ourselves, but we just play kind of like heightened weird scree parts of ourselves. So, so, um, and I, I, as a result of the room, um, and everybody like making fun of me because of all these, you know, I like to watch you guys or these weird lines that I have. I retreat into like, you know, the wilderness and grow a huge beard and like just become this, you know, like a hermit basically that doesn't want to talk to anybody. Uh, so it's kind of like that. They've got the, um, each, each character or each actor kind of has their own crazy experience about why the room screwed them up inside. Uh, and so that is actually, uh, Robin just got to deal with, uh, funny or die. Crazy stuff happens. And, and sometimes you can get, you can get swept away on something like this, you know, but you always come back home and you always have to live with yourself and that's not going to change. So, I mean, you know, where I'm at, it's where I'm at, you know, and you know, the dust will settle, you know, it's fun and it's crazy but, you know, you still, you know, you still fucking have to pee into your own toilet, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and you have to clean that toilet. Right. Sometimes. Exactly. Good point. <laughs> You're not famous enough yet. Right. You, you know, no, I don't I'm not getting rich or anything <laughs> like that. You know, yeah, exactly. That's a great point. You have to clean up after yourself. You have to wash your dishes, you know. So my last question is, do you still have that iconic rugby shirt that you wear in the film? <laughs> um I do, I do not have that specific shirt, but I do have, uh, you know, most of those clothes were mine, you know? Mm. Uh, let's see. I have the pants that I was wearing. Uh, I think they're <laughs> kind of like a purplish pants. Uh, uh, what else was I wearing? No, I don't have it. Um, Maybe if you ever get hard up for money, you might be able to sell those pants. Well, yeah. Like I still have some headshots from them too, you know? So uh, there's always a chance that I might have to scrap, you know, sign a few autographs and, you know sell them online or something like that. All right, Phil. Well, you've been the easiest guest we've ever booked on on this <laughs> podcast. I'll say that much. <laughs> I've never actually been um, 
a guest on my own show, which is really yeah meta. Your life is really strange on a lot of levels, right? Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> so I guess next month we'll be back with a normal episode. Yes, you'll be, you'll be back hosting. We don't know who our guest is going to be just yet. Normal fo- format, yes. Sorry, I think that about wraps it up. Thanks. Good to be here. The Disaster Artist will be released in big markets on December 1st and throughout the country on December 8th. And actually, I'll be making a celebrity appearance for the uh, Montreal premiere of The Disaster Artist. That's on December 8th. But don't be surprised if you hear about me hosting local screenings any time after that. So keep your ear to the ground. Um, Follow us on our On The Grid Facebook page for all the details. If you'd like to reach us, we can be found at onthegridphx.com or email us at onthegridphx at gmail.com. On The Grid is produced by Chris Ayers. Intro music was performed by local band Factories. They can be reached at factoriesmusic.com. Oh, and by the way, sticking with our theme of local, we feature local musical artists on each episode of our podcast. So now it's my turn, um, and I would love to feature my favorite local band, and that is Black Carl. And thank you guys so much for joining us for our 19th episode of On the Grid. The weather's been playing tricks every five days or six. And the weatherman's lies are the cause to my sickness. The spotter whips tangled up in bicycle gears. They got me laughing cause I've been a spider here for years. Now just when you, just when you thought you lost it You find it buried way down in your closet Just when you, just when you thought you lost it It finds its way back to you dogs and arrested in change but what it boils down to is they can rarely be trained you know it's funny how the eye is drawn to bruised fruit but they say the blacker the berry the sweeter the juice oh now just when you touch when you thought you lost it
When you just when you thought you lost 